Okay, let's begin the meeting at 5.35. And Brenda, can you take roll? Yes. Lolita Mellon? Here. Niha Banger? Lucia Angel? Here. B. Frank Walker? B. Franks Walker? He's here, but yeah, I think he, he I, I thought I heard her earlier too. So Uncle Mark her here, okay? Yeah. Richard Harvey Jr. Eric Murphy. Mark Smith. Here. Khalil Toki. I'm here. Ali Yexin. We have a quorum. Everyone, sorry, I'm, I'm Lee. This is Neha. Oh, hi, Neha. Hi. We missed you last time. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I uh, yeah. I'm not doing the greatest, so. Good. So, um, I guess the, the first thing that, um, I don't really have anything new to report other than like the rest of everyone, I'm sure you're very happy about the COVID bill being passed and the money that's going to be coming to the state. And um, I'm excited about that and about money going into the vaccine projects. So, um, you know, hip hip hooray for our president. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just wonderful that it happened. I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts on that. Okay. Um, so uh, we want to approve the meet the item B. We want to approve the minutes from uh, last month's uh, meeting. I vote to approve them. I make a motion to approve them. This is Mark Smith. Second Thank you. And Damon, are you here? Yes, I am. Oh, hi, Damon. Good, good, good. So um, we're on uh, C, which is his report. And take it away, Damon. Thanks so you much. One just... moment. Um, thanks for um, the, your, you had a motion in the second. And we just yes, need to quick, a quick consent. Um, nobody objects, right? No. No. No objections. All right, now you're good to go. Right, I'm just back from clinic and starving and trying to get a little snack in before we get going. So <laughs> sorry about that. Okay. Um, so I want to be brief today because I think there's a lot of great stuff on the agenda. So you guys help me be brief. I know that's not my best quality. Um, uh, today, I just want to really give an update on the um, homeless response, as we usually do, and an update on AHS leadership and governance, as uh, both those places are active. And I just want to make sure you all stay aware of the things that are happening. Um, so we can go to the next slide. Uh, sorry, the next one after that. Um, so uh, in the picture there, you can see our esteemed guest and colleague, friend, community you know, champion, David Motorsbach, um, at our first uh, vaccination site uh, for people experiencing homelessness in Alameda County. The, this was the very first spot 
Um, and we're just really excited to be going with uh, vaccinations as part of the Healthcare for the Homeless um, you know, group of providers. Um, so vaccination for people experiencing homelessness has begun as of two weeks ago. Um, the Healthcare for the Homeless program is leading the comprehensive countywide effort. The plans do include approaches at shelters and at drop-in sites and at street locations. And within the programs that we're kind of collaboratively working on, all people experiencing homelessness and support staff in you know, street outreach programs and shelters and drop-in centers are eligible, regardless of whether they meet any other of the county's criteria at this point. I think one thing we've been talking about internally is alongside sort of getting our specialized programs developed, how do we ensure that that eligibility group is well served by the rest of the system, which you know has tons and tons of resources, and we want to make sure is accessible to people experiencing homelessness too. So um, that's sort of a parallel focus that um, we're really just kind of getting underway doing, even as we're rolling out these these big programs. Um, so you can go to the next slide, Brenda. Um, so our mobile health program is part of this program, and we're providing vaccinations in particular at shelters and drop-in sites. Um, our um, focus is really on smaller sites where nimbleness and flexibility and you know having relationships with both the healthcare for the homeless team and with the shelters and drop-in centers is a really important part of delivering good care at some of the bigger sites um, the healthcare for the homeless program is working with uh, bigger partners including pharmacies um, that are that are delivering mass vaccination but you can see our program is still anticipated to deliver um, quite, a, quite a number of doses, uh, 1,500 to 2,000 doses of vaccination at 12 sites over two to three months is kind of our current projection of what, what we're going to be able to do just within mobile health. Um, and um, this is going to require us to pause most of our regular mobile health services at nearly all of our sites. We actually are maintaining some of our um, higher volume sites, some places where um, where you know, we're going and we're still getting a lot of consistent utilization, we're still gonna to go to those sites. But for the most part, we're really focusing on vaccination primarily as a mobile health program. Um, so I'll pause there and just take any questions on, on vaccination uh, before I move on to the usual updates. Clearly, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. All right, thank you. Uh, um, Amen, thank you. Yeah, now I have a quick question. So. Um, what about the new site? Um, this is uh, where uh, where I'm working out of right now. It's the Vegabon Hotel. That actually, we already have about 23 people that were homeless in Hayward. We already got them placed here. And they can stay here two to four months before we can actually work on finding the permanent housing. Would that be something that we can start? I know the mobile van is, is actually um, it's supposed to be here sometimes this month. I forgot the date. Uh, but I was wondering, can we set it up for that day if they hear that? We can have people that want to get the COVID-19 vaccine uh, sign up and have them get it because they're actually here. So they will be staying at the hotel. So I know that they need the second dosage, but uh, once again, they will be staying in this hotel up to four months. Yeah, why don't we take that offline? I think I think Heather can follow up with you and we'll collaborate with our Healthcare for the Homeless partners and make sure that you're in the loop on, uh, on the, the program. It, it may be mobile clinic, it may be another part of the system, but we'll make sure you're in, in the system. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, um, Damon, this is Mark. Uh, my question is: is uh, the current uh, vaccinations uh, that are being given uh, are they currently Moderna or which vaccination uh, regimen uh, regime are they? Are they J and J or mix of 
Okay. Yeah, them, or I can answer. Know? I can answer for our program, and then I can see if David knows for the for the healthcare for the homeless program. All of the vaccines that Mobile Health is giving right now are Moderna. We're looking at potentially giving Johnson and Johnson vaccine um, when that's available to us, but right now it's all Moderna. And David, I don't know if that's the same for healthcare for the homeless or if you all are giving other vaccines. We just actually had a meeting um, to talk about that this afternoon. We're, there's a lot of talk about, um, and our goal is to, within some weeks, our goal is to be giving primarily Johnson and Johnson, or as we call it, the Janssen vaccine for a lot of reasons. Most, mostly the effectiveness of it, the ease of single dose. But right now, just like um, Damon said, we're, we, we're starting on Moderna, which is the two shot, and um, our goal is within a few weeks when we get the supplies in, to be really focusing on um, on Janssen one the, the single shot. Yeah, and I think we're we're also very interested in uh, in the Janssen or Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine as well. Um, you know, within within mobile health um, and working with our county partners to see if we can get that. But right now, it's all Moderna. Um, Damon, this is Mark Smith again. Um, about the vaccines, and I, I, I don't want to. I, I, it's not my intention uh, to go go off into the weeds. But uh, one thing that's uh, uh, been made clear um, from various uh, news reports and um, other sources I've read uh, regarding the various vaccines is that um, there are some people um, in certain states. Uh, and governors in certain states that are that are um, kind of uh, what's the uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, kind of uh, trying to actually uh, they're 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 in the process of kind of talking down people uh, within their sphere about taking Moderna. Uh, uh, or the other vaccine, which escapes me right now. Um, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, yeah. the Pfizer and the Moderna, um, simply because uh, they're convinced that Johnson Johnson's best, not simply because it's a one shot, which obviously you know has its advantage in terms of of, of trans, uh, being able to transport easily, and of course it's a one shot deal as opposed to uh, the other two. But more importantly, they're sold on this idea and about the idea that Johnson & Johnson at some point, uh, before it became available, was supposedly tested uh, in Central Africa, uh, where the South African variant uh, now uh, is running rampant. And there is some anecdotal information that, that claims that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is uh, because it was tested in Africa and not here stateside, uh, that it had an opportunity to encounter the South African variant and that as a result, uh, the research uh, um, bears out this idea that, that it is better against the South African variant uh, and possibly more effective against the, uh, the South African variant uh, than the earlier two, uh, uh, better than Pfizer or Moderna. Uh, is that your take on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine A? And B, uh, if it is, 
even if that's the case, uh, do you not do you or do you not prescribe the idea that it's important for people to get vaccinated no matter what vaccine, or that you do believe that Johnson Johnson is a better vaccine in general, especially for more vulnerable populations? I know that's a mouthful I just asked, but. Yeah, this is Alexander, uh, Office of the General Counsel. So the scope of, of the question far exceeds the uh, topic of the conversation. However, because this is a matter of public interest, we can provide a response, uh, you know, a brief response. However, I don't want, you know, our staff to feel compelled to provide a response given, you know, the fact that this may potentially require the institution to endorse one vaccination over the other without adequately preparing or expecting to provide a response to a question of this nature. So on that end, I'll leave it there. Uh, and Dr. Francis, again, feel free to, to respond, but do not feel compelled. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I definitely uh, am not turning myself into an expert on this, but I think, I think I can give pretty quick answers to both Parts A and Part B. Um, in terms of Part A, I would say it's impressive how much science you've read. I think the consensus is still to be formed around we haven't we don't have head-to-head -head trials, for example, of one vaccine versus another in the setting of any variant, right? So um, we have a lot more information to collect. I think is is what is the place I would summarize the the consensus and the scientific guidance um, before we know the answers to some nuanced questions like that. I think you're looking at all the right bits of evidence, but we don't have anything that's you know firm right now. And then with regard to question B, I think your summary is, is right on, Mark. The, the best vaccine you can get is the first one you can get. And all of these vaccines are very close to 100% protective against hospitalization and death, um, both in the trials and in the vaccine rollout data that we have so far, you know, up, upper 90% upper in both cases. And so we really want to just get folks an effective vaccine. And that's, that's you know, the major focus of all of our efforts. Okay, hey, um, may I ask one more question? Um, um, just out of curiosity, in terms of uh, the intake of people that uh, we serve in the hospital as far as uh, uh, the, the homeless program, um, ha has there been any, any indication that uh, uh, variants have showed up? Have they shown up actually among the homeless popul population um, as far as we know? So I think this is a great opportunity, especially since I don't practice on the inpatient side, and, and we have our chief medical officer uh, joining us today, Dr. Ghassan Jamaluddin, to, to have Dr. Jamaluddin respond to that question briefly if he feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Damon, and thank you for the question. Uh, we have not done the, like genetic uh, surveillance uh, as much as, as we should. Uh, so we have some genetic surveillance uh, here in California that shows uh, that, uh, that the variant uh, that uh, was found in South California is present here. But we have data from UCSF and we have data from UCLA about people who received the vaccines that uh, the protection level is extremely high and it is very encouraging. Uh, as to the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, uh, the good thing about the study is that it was done 
into the United States, into South America, and into South Africa, and it is ongoing still in Europe as it is, it is done for two doses rather than one dose. But with the results that was revealed, uh, all variants seems to be uh, pro uh, protected by the vaccine to a very impressive, to a very impressive level. So as far as uh, 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 this question, I recommend, yes, as Dr. Damon was said and you said, is that to take the vaccine that is available and, uh, and the, the vaccine remains quite very effective in preventing death and preventing hospitalization. Very impressive results at that level. Okay. Thank you. Great. So I'll um, I'll just uh, continue to move through the presentation on uh, just our usual review of where we are in terms of cases and outbreaks. Um, so um, at the time that I made this presentation, we didn't yet have uh, data from the Healthcare for the Homeless program. Um, I think um, on the specific number of uh, outbreak responses, but we do know that um, our our numbers are downtrending now. So just like the pandemic overall in California, the pandemic among people experiencing homelessness, um, we're seeing you know smaller numbers of cases per week now coming off the the sort of peak in January. Um, and David, I don't know if you can comment on the outbreak responses if those if those are kind of following the same pattern. Indeed, they are. Um, we're we're just seeing a lot fewer cases um, in the last um, two months. Um, so fewer outbreaks, fewer rapid responses, and um, just a, across the board, a big decline. Not just among people experiencing homelessness, but um, with the general population, of course, as well. Yeah. So finally, some good news for us uh, on that front. And then um, the next slide, we um, just show you the tracking of the Operation Safer Ground uh, occupancy, um, which is, again, folks who are um, at risk of medical complications if they were to get COVID. They aren't people who actually have been exposed to or infected with COVID. Um, it's kind of leveling off the numbers who are in the Safer Ground sites now, and um, and actually given the new funding from uh, that, that um, Loretta mentioned, um, we'll probably increase these numbers again over the next couple months. Um, through September is when the uh, the funding is um, is then you know we're, we're going to have to reevaluate the sort of funding uh, for this program. So that's good news. I think we have you know a number of folks from Alameda Health System. I mean, as I've said before, many of these folks are our patients, even if we did, we weren't the ones who referred them. Um, in terms of we've seen them in the ER, we've seen them in the hospital, especially many of them we've seen them in the ambulatory setting. But also in terms of direct referrals, you know we're among the people that um, that the county is opening up to first, our care management programs and our outpatient programs to begin to refer back into safer ground. So it's exciting to see these numbers going up again, and I think um, we'll see in a couple sides what what some of the outcomes have been of the safer ground sites. Um, the Operation Comfort slide, the next slide, um, just shows the same kinds of declines we're seeing in you know in cases and in outbreaks. So. You know, because the comfort site is really dedicated toward isolation and quarantine, it sort of maps with the pandemic overall. And as the burden goes down, the the need for um, isolation and quarantine goes down at the Operation Comfort Site. So we're seeing that same trend hold here. And then I think what's really exciting uh, going to the next slide is seeing um, the connection between safer ground um, as a, you know, as a response to COVID, but how we sort of leverage it as a response to homelessness. And for me, it's really demonstrated something that, um, 
you know, a lot of our other permanent supportive housing or interim housing type solutions have demonstrated, which is that um, we can, with, with the right kind of money and the right kind of program design, we can absolutely end homelessness for people. Um, 65% of our exits from safer ground are going to a permanent housing situation, um, which is a really high rate of people. And uh, I, I would say, you know, a, a really simple investment to make at the societal level. And um, hopefully these kind of data allow us to, to leverage more programs like these, you know, once, um, once the pandemic is over. Um, the next slide shows um, we had seen earlier some disparities data um, that data that we looked at earlier did include Operation Comfort, and um, we're no longer seeing Operation Comfort disparities data. I haven't been able to get any of that, but um, but at least in terms of safer ground, we're seeing that exits overall um, and uh, and entrances overall and exits, you know, um, exits to housing overall are really about have about the same distribution across um, racial and ethnic groups. Um, which is which is heartening to see. Actually, we had seen early on in the pandemic when these data were lumped in with the Operation Comfort data that there were pretty stark disparities. I suspect there are still pretty stark disparities in the Operation Comfort data, um, but um, but I think safer ground is is again where we're really the purpose of the intervention is more twofold. It's to prevent people dying from COVID, but it's also to help people get on their feet and improve their housing situation. And so it's, it's heartening to see that we're actually able to really limit. There are some small disparities here, but, um, but fairly limited. Um, I think the Operation Comfort you know, program is really designed for isolation and quarantine. It doesn't have um, nearly as much of a housing sort of component to it. Um, and in that program, I would bet if we saw the data that we're still seeing some of the disparities we saw early on that, you know, that I showed you all. Okay, uh, Dave, uh, Damon, can I ask a question? This is Mark again. Please. Uh, yeah, one question about um, the permanent housing this, uh, that, that people have been able to be placed in. I'm just wondering, um, us as a, as a medical facility, um, have, uh, have we been able to establish a way of uh, keeping those people healthy in terms of, um, I mean, what, 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 what tools do we have or, 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 or we don't have that we should try to find or try to supply or, or provide uh, that would keep those people uh, healthy uh, while they're in permanent housing because, uh, yes, we got them in permanent housing, but what do we do for the long term, the long haul, in regards to their overall uh, health? I think that's a fantastic question and, and, you know, within the scope of this board and maybe, you know, something to pick up in a, with more time to talk about it outside of this presentation. Briefly, I think our care management programs, which offer, you know, services that just stay in touch with people outside of a outside of a primary care visit, you know, are really important for that. So people being able to call and connect with a community health worker, get information about community resources, get some health education, get some support, um, just stay connected, you know, to other patients. I think those kinds of programs are really important to provide that kind of support. And then I think um, we shouldn't underestimate the data connectivity um, benefits. So um, I'm going to put in a request this week, actually, for the people um, in the hotels to have read-only access to Epic, um, which I think will be really crucial for them to be able to collaborate, the nurses who are operating some of these um, safer ground sites and are going to then operate some of the, the sites that will be converted to permanent housing. Um, that, That's a great uh, idea. 
Yeah, that they're going to at least be able to see, you know, what's happening with our patients in our system on a, on a read-only basis. They're part of the treating team. There's no HIPAA reason that they shouldn't be able to, to collaborate with us. Mm-hmm. So that's one, that's one part of that. But, Mark, I think yours is a much bigger question that I'll make sure we take away and figure out how we sort of bring back to this group in a way we can talk about it for a longer period of time. Okay, that would be great. Um, David, I have a question. Go for it. How many hotels um, are currently in the Sacred Ground project right now? You know, I would have to get back to you on the specific answer to that. David, do you know the number? He's counting on his fingers. You don't have, you don't, you're not required to answer. We can just send an email out and give the, give the I think it's six. My guess is six. Okay. okay. So David's guessing six, but we can, we'll look up and okay. send you the, the specific number and sites after. They're sending out emails with some updates on that, so we can make sure that comes to you guys. Um, now, any of, the, any, any of the hotels that you were using earlier in the program, um, are they, no, are any of them no longer being used to help the homeless? Uh, yes. Okay, three, three of them closed, um, and okay. those folks, as they, as, as before they were closing, they were working to house people and place people in those hotels, and mm-hmm. some, of, some of the people living in the hotels that closed went back to shelters and other programs, oh. but nobody was displaced by those. Okay. okay. We can send you the specifics on that, because that's been communicated pretty well in some email updates, um, so we'll make sure you all have access to that information. Thank you. Um, I think we're going to move, uh, if there, unless there's any other questions, I was going to move to the leadership updates part, I think. Any other questions on uh, coronavirus before we move on? No. Um, so um, just a quick update that's, I think, really important for this group. Our chief ambulatory officer is, uh, has left already, actually, as of last Friday for a new job um, that she'll start in a few weeks at the California Department of Healthcare Services. She's going to become the first head of quality, um, quality improvement for the entire state um, in the Department of Healthcare Services. So we're really proud of, um, you know, where she's going. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really <laughs> fantastic for our patient population, fantastic for Dr. Babria, um, and, uh, and, you know, it's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we'll talk to the, our CMO who's on about whether she can still be a doctor in our system. Cause I think she still wants to do that too, but we have to oh, work yeah. out some, some admin things to get her still practicing here. Yeah. Um, but I'll, um, so, so, um, Catherine Horner has been named our interim chief ambulatory officer. She reports directly to, um, Dr. Jamaladeen who's on the call today. And then Dr. Babari's clinical leadership role will be split among three of us. Um, Dr. Ghosh, is, uh, who has been uh, the medical director at Eastmont and uh, of our urgent care, is going to oversee all of our primary care um, functions. Dr. Irina Williams, who's in our pain clinic, is going to oversee our specialty care functions. She's also our, our chief of staff, I believe. And then I'm going to help with um, our systems functions, which include some of those care management teams and outreach and information technology. I'll formally report to Dr. Ghosh, um, but I will continue meeting regularly. With, I'll be, you know, on the ambulatory leadership team still. I'll meet regularly with both Catherine um, Horner and with Dr. Jamaladeen. And um, I'll just make some space here for Dr. Jamaladeen to add anything um, if, if, if you'd like to. 
no, thank you, Dr. Damon. Uh, I uh, I just want to thank uh, the board, and then we will continue to support all your work to support the care of uh, our community. Um, uh, yeah, it was bittersweet for Dr. Bavaria to leave, but uh, hopefully she will have more impact at the state level to improve the care uh, throughout uh, throughout the state. And uh, as I told everybody, Palav uh, left a big part of her here and good, strong mm -hmm. infrastructure, and she would take part of our mission and values to the state, to Sacramento, and to the governor's office, which is also very, very valuable for us. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. They're very, they're very fortunate to have her. She's, she's a marvelous person in all ways. Um, I have a question about her, about her position. I'm just curious. Um, I mean, um, her position does not include lobbying of any kind, does it? No, her new position is working for the for the actual Department of Healthcare Services. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I think the the thing that I'll add, just for you to know as a board, is that um, you know there's additional changes that are in the program report among leadership within ambulatory. Um, Heather McDonald Fine is our practice manager for our vaccine clinic. Um, this involves me taking on new supervision roles. You know, lots of new meetings. Um, so I think it's. You know, there's there's two elements of this for us within the the homeless health center. One is um, it's absolutely clear how central we are to how ambulatory you know thinks about our mission, um, thinks about people experiencing homelessness, and how central the staff you know, and myself and Heather are to ambulatory, which is I think a fantastic thing. I think the thing that we all have to watch out for is that we keep our eye on the prize, and you know, as Heather and I are being pulled into mm -hmm. system level functions that we continue to, to have, to maintain resourcing that's really focused on people experiencing homelessness. And so I just wanted to acknowledge, you know, that those kinds of shifts um, are, are, you know, pulling us into the ambulatory work uh, at this moment, which I think is 99% a good thing, um, but it's something that we need to keep an eye on in terms of making sure that we're, we're keeping the mission um, front and center for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll be the end of my comments, and I can turn it back over to you, Loretta, unless there are any other questions. Um, I, the, uh, this is Mark again. Um, the only thing I would say, um, or I'd like to uh, speak to, is uh, uh, given, given the new responsibilities you're taking on and some other uh, people uh, on your staff are taking on, um, um, I, I hope you have full support in that uh, and then you have, and it sounds like you have uh, good people around you uh, to support you, and um, uh, that's that's important uh, for the success of the program. Thanks, Mark. Yes, and we'll reach out to you. You know, as we as we need that support, um, I feel very supported by Catherine, by Dr. Jamaluddin, um, and uh, and you know by our entire administration. I think it was great to you know one of the first things. Mr. Jackson did when he started as our interim CEO was come to our meeting. Um, so I think, um, you know, we're, we're very okay. central to the way that Alameda Health System thinks about its mission and what it's doing. And um, I feel very supported and very connected. And I think, it, you know, how do we turn that support and connection into results for people experiencing homelessness is, you know, that's what Paula would, that's what Paula would ask me. Um, and I think that's what yeah. we need to stay focused on. Right. 
decisions, uh, and we have, as part of our responsibility, we have budgetary decisions that uh, need to be made uh, uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, but yet we're not, we, we, we haven't been since we've been formed, we haven't really been, um, we haven't really been connected really in any real way to what decisions are actually budgetarily being made. And um, now that this new, this new board has been assembled, the new, the new board of trustees has been assembled, uh, they're now trying to think about uh, ways of restructuring uh, how to govern and how to run the hospital uh, um, um, completely. How to how to how to how to basically set up uh, governance governance structures that basically serve the hospital best. And one of the things that um, that Heather had noted to me was. Uh, for instance, there's there is a financial uh, decision that's going to be uh, made soon. Uh, I forget exactly the nature of the the, the financial decision, but there's going to be a financial a budgetary decision that's uh, already being considered by the board of trustees uh, that um, that might affect or does affect our direct decisions uh, regarding budgetary matters and the fact that. Uh, we didn't know about it. Uh, we as a board don't know about this and that it was never brought to our attention. And more importantly, that we were not considered part of the process. And one of the things that um, that I animated and, and certainly I think Heather agreed with me was that uh, we need to we need to consult with the with the board of trustees as they're building this this structure of governance that that we make the point that we ought to be considered uh, as a co-applicant board we need to be considered a part of the process that that we be basically in the loop about decisions that that are made that also affect uh, our mission statement and affect the decisions that we make budgetarily or otherwise and it's important for us to know uh, us being the left hand, it's important for us to know what the right hand is doing, and that the right hand also uh, basically lets us know uh, when things come up that um, that we should be consulted on, and things that, and we ought to decide as a board things that we want to be consulted on, things that we think that the board. Um, to consider in regards to any decisions we make, and part of that is being uh, is being included in this structure of governance. So as they're building this structure, uh, I, as Heather and I discussed it, uh, it's important for us to be a part of that, and uh, we need to let uh, the board of trustees know uh, that that's. Uh, that that's desired, that we as a board uh, desire to be put, uh, to be kept in the loop uh, about decisions that are made, budgetary or otherwise, that affect our mission. Um, as we're established as another board, uh, we need to know things that affect or could have impact on the decisions we make uh, from other aspects of, 
other boards uh, that also have governance in the hospital. And uh, I think that's important. Uh, I think we need to find a way to uh, to to let them know that, and uh, possibly even a meeting to to flush out uh, ideas about how we want that to how we want to facilitate that. Do we uh, do we have just uh, simply open two way communication at any time, or do we want to have uh, a, a certain amount of meetings per year, uh, or do we want, or do we want um, to meet as things come up? These are decisions that we would have to make along uh, with our with our partners, the board of trustees. Um, um, and I think it's important because I think it would uh, also instill an idea of teamwork, uh, uh, teamwork not just among us, because I think in our board. There's certainly teamwork among us. I think we, I think we have a great board. I think we exude teamwork, uh, but we need we need that element to be we need that element to also be uh, uh, a reality uh, with other boards uh, uh, as as in respect to uh, any decisions that are made that affect our mission, and, and that doesn't mean just the board of trustees. It could be also it could be other boards uh, that also make other decisions in which uh, we should be included, but are not, uh, but currently are not. And so um, I, I leave the floor open. On, uh, well, first let me let me ask uh, Heather if she wants to add anything or that I might have forgotten anything. Aside from that, uh, after that I would love to hear. Um, I would love to hear what the board thinks about that and, ha and any ideas that the board thinks uh, would be appropriate. And of course, we have our legal advisor who might want to pipe in here as to what might be legal in terms of bylaws and so on. But uh, but but that's the gist of that's the gist of the issue. Yeah, thank you, Mark and Heather. Before uh, you opine, uh, so this is an interesting one uh, because. The scope of the, the discussion it appears to go beyond what was expected to be discussed under the report about the governance committee meeting. So my recommendation to the board will be to calendar a discussion for this particular item, uh, not necessarily the item, but this particular topic of discussion at the next CAP meeting. Uh, that's the recommendation that I'm inclined to, uh, you know, propose at this juncture. Alexander. Can I help frame a little bit? Because I know that um, that that Mark shared kind of his perspective from the meeting and some of our discussion. But the framing for this discussion was was intended to be similar to a previous discussion where the board thinks of guiding principles to give feedback about governance. Right? There was a general governance presentation about what governance can look like. We are members of a governance committee that engages with the Board of Trustees, and our feedback was welcomed by both the Board of Trustees and the CEO. And so the intent was to say, well, here are some thoughts, and what are some guiding principles that we can give feedback to the Board of Trustees and to the CEO based on their having these governance ad hoc committees. 
do you feel that that still goes outside? Because this goes along with the memo, the draft memo that I sent, and that intention was there. Yeah, unfortunately, it still goes outside. So I, I, I think I'm still will ask the Co-Applicant Board to calendar this specific topic of discussion, not so much as far as what transpired at the ASCO Governance Committee, but rather, you know, uh, the ask, which is, we want to be more of an active participant in any discussions that may potentially uh, jeopardize or affect the health center. Um, and yeah, so. Mm -hmm. So, if I uh, this is Mark again. If I if I might make it, if I may ask, um, uh, are you are you saying generally that basically uh, even the framework that was stated by Heather, uh, and um, and my observations or or questions I had regarding the governance meeting were outside the scope. Therefore, um, if I get you correctly, it is something. Uh, despite the fact that it was outside in, in this current discussion, uh, will we, are we still going to be allowed or legally, uh, are we still, is this still open for us to discuss uh, th these very issues I raised uh, uh, as, a, as, another, uh, as another matter for the board to discuss uh, possibly in the next meeting? So, so I guess I'm still trying to sort of understand. Let me start by saying that uh, what transpired at the AFHOD Governance Committee was sort of focused on the governance of Alameda Health System as a whole in relation with the county, correct? That's correct. Okay, so in what you're proposing in your discussion goes beyond additional observations that are in turn or may potentially affect the health center and the health center's ability to actively participate. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. That, that's not right. Okay, and based on those observations and what we believe may potentially affect the health center, you'd like for the co-applicant board to discuss ways in which or come up with recommendations on how the co-applicant board can better represent the interests of the health center at these discussions. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll once again, I'll stand by the recommendation will be, which will be to discuss those, the latter part of that at the next meeting. You are at liberty, and Heather as well, to discuss and provide the rest of the CAP members a summary of what transpired during that ad hoc governance committee. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, based on what he just said, Heather, uh, what uh, should you and I um, um, discuss and maybe um, summarize or crystallize, as it were, uh, the essence of what was said uh, in the scope of what we heard, in the scope of the the actual agenda of the governance meeting, and and then um, simply bring that up as an agenda item for next meeting within that scope. If that makes, if I'm making any sense. I think you're making sense. So I can I can provide a brief summary of what happened, what kind of transpired at the meeting, 
And then I'm going to try to summarize what Alexander said, because I need a repeat, a little bit of a repeat, so that I can capture how to put it then onto the next meeting so that we can have the discussion mm -hmm. that the group wants to have. So the intention is that the, that the, that the group can have the discussion they want to have. The, basis, the basics of the meeting that, have, that we attended, so one thing is to notify you all that there are meetings, they are public meetings, and everybody is invited to attend. And so this was an example of one of those public meetings, um, and they've just started meeting, and it's the Ad Hoc Governance Committee. And at this particular meeting, they had a guest speaker from the California, public, um, California Association of Public Hospitals, um, and they described the various governance um, structures that exist in the state of California and how they function and why they picked the ones that they picked in some cases. And they talked um, quite a bit about um, how many public health systems, or I'd rather public entities, chose to no longer operate public health systems because they're very expensive to run. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of conversation about the existing structures, what they look like, where in, the, where in California they look like that, and some of the challenges of public health systems, specifically financially, on being um, able to meet the demand of the public and serve the public given the funding that's available to them through public resources. There were lots of, there were yeah, there was this, uh... Go ahead, Loretta. Oh. This um, this was the information that you or Damon sent them, correct? So yes, yeah, so you got the yeah. present was sent to you in an email, right. and um, I think that also the entire meeting is available to be listened to. If you go to the Alameda Health System website, um, there is auditory, there's recordings of every meeting, and you would be able to listen to that presentation and listen to the public comment as well, um, and some of the public mm -hmm. comments. Think that um, that Mark captured them really well. Um, so that was um, the nature of even some of the discussion that happened at the meeting was about having a transparent financial um, decision-making process, um, making sure that it includes stakeholders um, and that there there are methods with which to. Um, include to, to be transparent and also to include the public in the decision-making process. Um, they also talked about that the Board of Trustees also has hired a consultant that is looking at governance structures and or rather the Board of Supervisors, I'm sorry if I said that wrong. So the Board of Supervisors has hired a consultant um, to look at governance structures as well because remember this is um, the Alameda Health System is, is very much connected to the Board of Supervisors in the county. Um, there were some representatives from SEIU who spoke. Um, so, uh, but there were some really good questions as well that were brought to the public. They did have a very, um, it was a very open forum um, where they did not necessarily stick to having, needing everybody to fill out a form before speaking, asking their questions. And so I think that it's a good meeting for us to be able to attend. And I think that you'll find it reasonably easy to participate in those meetings if you choose to attend. And then I think for the for our next meeting, um, I think the idea was for the board to 
um, similar to when we developed guiding principles for the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program to keep put into our subrecipient agreements, for example, that we wanted to discuss what are some guiding principles to give feedback on um, as they're developing their governance structure, what are some guiding principles that the board as a unit um, promotes or um, agrees upon to give as their feedback to the organization. Mm -hmm. Does that seem about right? So I'm just I'm gonna check in with Alexander and with Mark to see if I captured it well enough. Okay, um, this is Mark again. Um, unfortunately, my call dropped out, so I lost you for about a, a minute and a half. But I'm Sorry. back. So Heather, yes, it, it does capture it. And I, I will recommend that for the purposes of the next May meeting, that this ought to be an action item, which will require the co-applicant board to endorse what the recommendations will be, uh, you know, by you and Mark. And of course, during the, the scope of that discussion, there could be amendments or additional supplementations to whatever it is that you guys will propose uh, and intend to present uh, to Alameda Health System. So Alexander, can I, can I speak as a non-voting member and as a staff member that um, it, it would be helpful to have a broadened scope around hearing from more board members in this meeting, their reactions, their questions, their comments about what's happened already in order to be able to craft something that that could be forwarded as an action item at the next meeting. And given that we don't have an executive committee, we don't have a real way to hear from our board members as a group in between. The sort of jump from this item to the next item, it's a, it's a big thing to give us as staff in a governance conversation. So. That's where I'd really appreciate just the uh, opportunity to hear from more of the the co-applicant board members in terms of really reactions to what's been said, you know, not necessarily affirmative proposals, but I think right. just what are we thinking about this? What are we feeling about this? What does this trigger for us? Are we allowed to have that sort of discussion in this context? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the challenge is, Dr. Francis, is the fact that this discussion would lead into some agreement by the co-applicant board. And it's a topic that falls within the scope of the jurisdiction of the co-applicant board. Now, there are several ways by which we can do this. Uh, you know, the alternative will be not necessarily to present sort of an outline of what the staff recommend, but rather this could be, you know, a discussion with the intention to provide authority or guidance to, you know, uh, the program staff to go forward, so for example, to develop something. Uh, th there are several ways, right? There's ways that they can, the next meeting, you guys can discuss this and come up with a way to address this issue. Uh, whether that could be in the form of go ahead and create these, you know, sort of uh, guiding principles and present it to us at the next meeting for approval, or we are giving the program staff the authority to move forward based on, on the scope of the discussion. So we can certainly have this discussion, unfortunately, at this juncture, because of the scope of the item on the agenda, it's very limited. It's, it's you know, for purposes of the California Brown Act, we unfortunately wouldn't be able to discuss that. Okay, um, let me ask, let me ask Alexander a question. Um, if I, if I understand you correctly, 
and given Damon's request, and and I think it's uh, and I think it's uh, more than um, I think it's uh, an an excellent one because uh, it shouldn't be just driven by me and Heather in our private discussions. It should uh, ultimately be you know a board uh, you know a board driven um, um, project or, or decision. And, and, and with that in mind. Um, if I re- if I understand you correct, Alexander, we can we can discuss this. We can discuss uh, we can discuss as a board in the next meeting how we might want to address this particular issue. We can discuss that, and then at some point uh, through maybe a couple of discussions. We can then propose. If I get, if I understand you right, we can then propose to the board of trustees um, at least uh, our idea of what governance looks like. Am I correct or incorrect? I mean, as it as it as it pertains uh, to to the function of our of our board. Yes, that is correct. Okay. I, I have something too to say. Um, I think if you want to get all of the board members involved in this, I think a little history of what has been done in the past is good to have because not everybody knows how decisions were made or how financial information was, you know, acquired, whatever. And I think if we had a little background on that, that would also help in uh, putting forth more decisions. Yeah. I agree with I really you on do. that. And and I think that I think that all the board members should see that. Maybe in the form of a memo. I don't know however you or maybe in the form of the discussion. I'm not sure. I know Heather you you have talked about certain things in the past that I think would fit into this. But um you know, we have a we have a couple of new members that haven't been there been with us for the whole time, so they would need to hear it as well. I find that comment to be really helpful and wonder if others have similar ones. I have a quick question. Is there any way that we can get that link to that meeting that Heather and Mark attended so we can have a better understanding on actually what was discussed in that meeting and then kind of bring that to the next meeting that we have and kind of discuss and come up with some questions and, you know, and then kind of bring that up to the, um, I guess, after the meeting after that. Uh, I, would, I would like okay. to know, like, was more about. I know that Heather attended mm-hmm. and talked about it a little bit, but just kind of maybe a link that she can share with us that we can go back and just kind of watch that video or the meeting that was presented. Um, also, and, and, uh, do, and, and do check your email because we did, I know Heather did send um, the slides from, from that meeting um, from the guest speaker, and they were very informative. And well, I'm sure that everybody gets the link to the um, audio, which which um, is again available to the public. And I also just wanted to clarify some of what Mark had said. You know, um, I heard Mark describe describe our conversations as private conversations. Mark and I debriefed after the meeting to help clarify understandings of the presentation and to talk about how the presentation was relevant or could be relevant to the board. So I am in no way making recommendations 
to you as a board as to how you move forward. And I just wanted to clarify from Mark's description that because we both attended the meeting, I was supporting understanding of the content by meeting with Mark afterwards. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Heather. I understand that. Um, let me ask um, one question to Heather. Um, yeah. I, I did hear one of our board members, I'm not sure who it was, um, I, I think they were mentioning the idea that maybe um, what would be helpful is to basically explain, um, or how could I put this? Um, I, I heard someone say basically to explain some, uh, at least in a rudimentary way at least, um, how budgetary decisions were made in the previous, um, in the in the in the previous um, version of, of of the board of trustees and 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 who who made who made those budgetary decisions what boards were involved um, and that might give us an idea about how actually budgetary decisions are made for the hospital I I could be wrong am I wrong about well, you know, you know what, Mark? We vote every year on on the uh, the budget that they um, that Heather presents to us for the for the um, homeless health care. The the question I have, and maybe it's a question you have, is where where do these figures come from? And what if we think as a board that more money needs to be you know dedicated to a certain area? You know, because we have the cost of running the van, we have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's all broken down in the in the budget explanation. But um, who decides when that can be increased or how much it should be increased? Right. Because um. we vote as a group. I mean, we approve the budget, which we do every year, but we're just approving something that was already predetermined for us. We had no input into that, you know. Is that correct, Heather? Well, so we have. So I, I feel like this is. Um, we, these are two different discussion items. Um, we have a subrecipient agreement, which is a very clear budget, which you approve that will be coming out to you in April, which includes essentially all of the finances that are specific to the program related to the van and the grant dollars that come to you uh, from the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. In addition to that, as, as a group, the co-applicant board approves a budget that is a portion of the ambulatory budget. And that portion of the ambulatory budget represents all of the homeless health center within ambulatory care, which is not specifically related to the mobile van, for example. Yeah. It shows both the cost and expenses um, related to running the rest of the ambulatory care and serving patients experiencing homelessness. And we see evidence of that both in our annual UDS report, which David's going to report on next, and through our annual um, budget approval process, which is separate from the subrecipient agreement, but includes dollars okay. from the subrecipient agreement. And then in this context, where we're talking about, you know, how do we relate then the, to the board of trustees and the finances in the presentation that Mark was talking about was more about what happens at the system-wide level 
and how decisions are made about the budget at a system-wide level, which is included that we've approved our subrecipient agreement and we've also approved a portion of the ambulatory budget and then the ambulatory care has approved their portion of the budget and then the Board of Trustees approves that whole budget. And I think that because it's such a very large and complex budget with many parts and a lot of involvement from a lot of people, it can feel very unclear and muddy and 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 not visible to most people, right? Because they're not involved in those steps in between. And I think that that's likely when people talk about the budget process not being transparent is, is potentially related to that. But in regards specifically to the you know, this this idea that at the level of the Board of Trustees and what finance looks like from that level of the Board of Trustees is very different from what the finance looks like for us as a program of that larger system. Okay. Does that help? Yes. Well, uh, oh, go ahead. What? I'm sorry. No. I, I would love to hear just other board members' reactions and reflections as individuals on what's been presented mm -hmm, about you know, the, the meeting having happened. I agree. I agree, Damon. I think um, I think all of our board members, each one, can will have a possibly a different viewpoint, perhaps, or bring up something that you know. We all have different ideas of how we look at this. So I think it is important to involve everyone. I think we, it would be good if we, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I think it would be good if we could provide input. I think we also need to be kept in the loop. Is that what you're saying, Mark, that we're not, that they're saying that we're not kept in the loop and that we don't provide input for them? Yes, I, that's in effect what I, kind of what uh, I think is the gist of the, uh, of the discussion right. I had with Heather right. is that uh, our, our, our lack of, or our lack or not um, the chance to have input into what happens in terms of uh, uh, the budget, uh, especially that that aspect of the budget in which we make uh, those decisions, uh, budgetary decisions about the, about the program. Well, it was my understanding, and maybe I'm wrong, but early on it was my understanding that we don't have input to the budget precisely, that the budget is prepared and that we live within those means. Am I right? Heather, I think. Yeah, I think I think Heather's already addressed some of that. Yeah. yeah. Very, yeah. you know, in, in, in terms of describing some of the process that exists. I think right. for me as so, staff, what's really useful is just understanding from, I think, multiple folks so far, Mark, Loretta, Khalil, and yourself be that we could use a lot more clarity. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things we could take away as staff is to you know is to is to provide a lengthier update and presentation 
so that we understand some of these processes with a little more depth than what we've done. Yeah. I just think that if we're expected to give input, well, then that's fine. We can do that as the board. But if we're not supposed to, or I don't quite understand if they're saying that they're not getting it from us. I don't quite understand that. I think that's why we're trying, in our next meeting perhaps, we're trying to come up with um, guiding principles of how we can become involved. Is that correct, Heather? Our, our interim CEO um, invited us to provide input and our perspective on the board and the governance structure for Alameda Health System. And we were invited to do so because I think that we are already recognized as an important stakeholder within our organization. Right? So we exist as a governing board within our system which means we are making decisions about our system. We are close to the services that our system provide, and therefore we were invited to both attend these meetings and to provide input. Um, I think it's hard for everybody to attend the meetings. So the idea here was that some people attended the meeting, that we provide a report back on what happened in that meeting, so that you could then talk about your uh, perspectives about that presentation, even if it's kind of secondhand, and to give you an opportunity to think about the governance of Alameda Health System, to formulate whatever it is that you guys feel is, um, you know, key, I will, I'll call them, you know, key messages or important principles that could be as simple as as you're determining your governance, stakeholder feedback is important. We do like to, that's our feedback for you, that stakeholder feedback is important in governance. So maybe that's uh, something that could go forward. I'm, I'm not suggesting that or proposing that, and I don't know now, I worry about Alexander telling me I can't say it, but, but the idea is that through thinking about the Alameda Health System governance, through the Board of Trustees because that's opening up and they're having these sessions that allow public input, but you you as a board are an important community mm -hmm. within Alameda Health System that can provide that input. And so this this um, presentation that they had a couple weeks ago was kind of the, one of the first of many opportunities mm -hmm. where this feedback is being welcomed or where they're providing information so that you can ask questions and get more information so that you can reflect and think about what kind of feedback you would give either as an individual community member or patient or as a board. Mm -hmm. That you're valuable and your ideas are valued um, and that, you know, through attending with Mark too, this idea of having him listen and then debriefing with him to see what he heard and to see how we might translate that into um, feedback. Right? Well, what do we do with it once we hear something and ask questions and learn about it? What do we do with that information? Do we give it back to people who then may be formulating something? Yeah. Hey, this is Lucia. Sorry, I'm Finlacina. I just, I think I'm having a hard time providing input to this discussion and trying not to kind of break the rules. Um, so I think it would be really helpful uh, if we could 
kind of create some space in the following meeting uh, for it to be, actually be a discussion and action right. item. Because I feel like what comes to mind is like I want to try to come up with like proposals or things. So like we should try. Um, so I think that's why I'm like hesitating to like comment a lot. Um, so I, I think it might be helpful if it was a more a space where that was like more where we could do that yeah. <laughs> in the future. Okay. Well. Here's my, this is Mark again, here's my take on the whole thing. Uh, uh, bottom line, um, and Alexander can um, chime in if uh, if I'm overstepping again, but uh, I, I just think that we could put on the agenda for next meeting that we generally have a discussion about, or I believe he referred to it as an action item, in which mm -hmm. we could discuss uh, whether or not uh, we want input, and if so, uh, what what nature uh, what nature of that input should be, what the nature of the input should be, and uh, within the scope of uh, what's legal for the board uh, to do. Uh, number one, and number two. Um, um, to have to discuss uh, ideas about, or at least um, at least think about uh, what what we would like to see in terms of I mean what what input we could have and what impact uh, we could make and what and and what's important to you in as a board member in terms of of budgetary decisions and maybe I'm not I don't think I'm being uh, I don't think I'm being um, I, I, I don't think what I'm saying is very lucid <laughs> I think it's hard for me to, to describe to you what I'm thinking but I'm, I, I'm just thinking there must be some way we can just uh, brainstorm ideas about uh, if, if we're allowed to have input uh, obviously Based on what Heather just said, the input is welcome. Uh, we might want to discuss uh, if we have any input to give, and if we do, uh, what what shape and nature should it take? And um, and I would expect, and I would, well, I would certainly expect that Alexander, uh, with his help, uh, can help guide us into doing it in a way. Uh, that is legal and doesn't cross any lines, but yet uh, uh, maybe accomplish for us uh, the ability to, to to have input on 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 governance structure in general, uh, in general and specifically governance structure as it pertains to us as a as a board. That's that's basically it, I think, in a nutshell. And if if Heather disagrees with that, or or you think or 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 you think you or she wants to add anything, I'd be open to hearing whether or not she thinks uh, how I described it was uh, adequate. Mark, I think you did a beautiful job of summarizing, and I think that I can work with that to make sure that on our next agenda item we have it appropriately actionable. So thank you so much for your work on that. I really appreciate it.
Well, yeah, I just hope, I just hope I didn't confuse everybody in uh, in the way I was talking about it because I don't think I I don't really think I explained myself very well. Uh, more importantly, I don't ex I don't think I explained um, the governance meeting uh, per se. Uh, I basically gave you uh, an outline of of my inspiration based on the meeting in terms of what they were saying and and how I think that how I think that affects us as a board or or how we as a board uh, have an opportunity to affect what uh, what is kind of in the early stages of of, of the hospital basic uh, the board of trustees uh, that trying to determine um, um, what structures that they want to put up in terms of of running the hospital, and so, so a lot of what I described earlier was actually more my the inspiration or ideas I I, I got from what was being discussed, and and not so much the, the 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 essence of the governance board. So, so I apologize for that if I uh, if I was uh, incorrect in a lot of some of my information. And thanks, uh, Heather, for uh, for backing me up to explain exactly what I was, what what we discussed, and what I was uh, trying to, what I was trying to uh, to convey to, to the board, uh, to our board. You did a great yeah. job. Mark. I want to reiterate how important how you interpreted what you heard, and how you were inspired by what you heard, and what it made you think of how important that is. And so I'm really very happy that you shared that, and I think that that's the idea um, moving forward is, is inspiring other people too. So I think that you did great. And I also want to just mention, you know, that this is new for many members of the board, um, even for Mark, to take on this role to do a presentation about a meeting that he went to, and that can be really, that's a new thing. And, and we learn as we do it. And so I think that that's also a really important opportunity that if anybody else wants to take on that opportunity and try to do it, and acknowledging how difficult it is to come into a meeting like this and have it all organized and thought in a way it's really hard. Sometimes it's talking through that gets you to your clarity. And I think that you did a great job and you, you found your way, Mark. So I think it's all right. I think you did great. Hey, I do. I do have one more question, and it wasn't asked in the beginning. And maybe I should have asked. I maybe should have asked it in the beginning. But uh, actually, did anyone other than Heather and myself? Did anyone actually uh, on our board who's present now actually attend the governor's board meeting? I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't. It didn't fit in with my schedule. Right. Right. Okay. I was just curious. I was just curious. I want to echo what Lucia said earlier. Definitely, that's something that we want to bring up in the next meeting, you know, and talk about the topic and you know the concerns. So, but I definitely don't want to overstep right now and say stuff either. So I think, you know, like Lucia said, I totally want to echo that. I think you know it's the proper, the right way to do it, and just bringing that up again in the next meeting and come up with a plan how we're going to approach that and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I just I do want to reiterate as staff. Um, that uh, this is really complex. And so I do want to work with Alexander between meetings to figure out how we can just talk. Because um, I think it's important mm -hmm. for me to just talk 
before or to have many opportunities to talk before we're putting action items in front of you all that are then binding to, to all of us. And so I think that's something I'm going to take away and need to talk to Alexander about. Um, how do we bridge this gap? In hearing from all of you and understanding, you know, sort of your perspectives and ideas so that we can actually craft functional proposals to come up for you to take action on. Um, and I just, I really appreciate the, yeah. everybody, as Heather said, everybody leaning into that space and trying to figure that out, given that it's something new, and especially, Mark, for bringing information as a board member. You asked earlier, you know, how you could support us in this time, and I think going to another meeting, trying to process it, trying, you know, what, what would people experiencing homelessness want us to do? Um, and then bringing it back to this board is a very important thing. And I, I just want to be very grateful to Mark for, for doing that and for taking us through something that's challenging. I appreciate that. All right, Loretta, you can bring okay. us on. Okay. Um, Thank you. I think now, um, David, it's your turn to give us uh, your UDS report. Are you still here, David? <laughs> I'm still here. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. That was a really interesting um, to hear and listen to and see um, in action. Um, it's really, you guys are really struggling with and doing a great job approaching governance and community health centers. And that's what Healthcare for the Homeless is. And that's the roots of our Healthcare for the Homeless, the larger health center that you all are part of is one of the fundamental roots is community governance. And it's hard to do, and you all are um, working on it, and I really, really respect that. Um, both our, our, our Health Cover the Homeless Commission, which is based out of, um, out, of, uh, out of Alameda County, and you all, based in a huge um, hospital system, are really have our work cut out for us to be able to do um, democracy and community-driven um, health, and I really, really respect that. So um, we are Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program is the larger health health center that, um, that the AHS health center is part of through our subrecipient um, partnership. Um, and every year we report to the feds our, um, our, what we did last year as a community health center. Mm -hmm. And that's, that reporting is through what's called the Uniform Data System, or UDS report. That's our bread and butter of, of how we say what we did last year. Um, and you can forward the, um, the, video, the thing, right? Um, last year, we served 8,300 patients experiencing homelessness countywide um, in, in sites, specific sites. In our, on our scope of services and providing specific services to folks on a, through our scope of services um, throughout the county. And those, those, that scope of services is homeless patients that are served at AHS um, Highland Wellness, the Highland Specialty Clinics, Highland Dental, um, the Urgent Care Clinic at um, Highland Hospital, um, Eastmont Wellness, Hayward Wellness, Newark Wellness, the Mobile Health Program. That's all stuff that you all are familiar with. But beyond and outside of that, our health center is more than that countywide. It's our Healthcare for the Homeless directed and operated shelter health services for people experiencing homelessness and, and to provide health 
care in shelters and programs. It's our street health teams that are providing health care services at um, encampments and street settings throughout the county. Um, it's a, at our trust clinic in, um, operated by Lifelong down in downtown Oakland. Um, and again, the street health teams that I, that I mentioned, contracted teams throughout the county. And it's um, other specialty services like dental um, and optical services throughout the county that are contracted contract through the healthcare for the homeless program. So that's kind of what the scope is in our, in our larger health center. You can forward that, advance that. Um, like I said, we, we, we served 8,300 patients last year. Um, that's fewer patients than the year before that um, and more visits. So we were really busy during this COVID year. Um, you can go ahead. Um, and um, some of the, the, the key takeaways for, uh, of, our, of, our, of last year were that we saw fewer people. And, and that, could be, that would be um, in, in some part due to fewer people served and reported in the AHS um, Homeless Health Center. And um, we, I think, probably in future meetings, we're gonna we can discuss in a little bit more depth because we're right at the right at the edge right now. So there were fewer people um, reported to us by AHS this year, last year, um, probably mostly due to in more focused um, reporting on who is homeless and what people are experiencing homelessness. But also last year we had an expansion in our street health services, a big expansion. In, in the services that happen out in the streets. So we have much more of a focus on, on the unsheltered population. We had a big expansion in our um, shelter health services last year as well. Um, a lot of COVID services that aren't really reflected in our, in our UDS report. Um, mm -hmm. We did a lot more enabling services, that the support services, the non-clinical, the non-medical support services that people experiencing homelessness um, need and got last year. And there was a big jump rapidly and suddenly because of COVID in our implementation of telehealth or telephone or video-based health services. And a big impact on some of the other services like dental and optometry because of COVID. Um, moving along. So you can just see that comparing last year to the year, 2020 to the year before, we saw fewer patients. We had more visits, more action, um, fewer medical clinical visits, and a, a large number of those clinical visits in our overall health center were tele-visits tele that happened remotely. That was exciting to see all that, and it was exciting to see that because a lot of people, um, a lot of our patients have phones now, that we were able to do more telehealth, and especially, interestingly, more behavioral health telehealth visits. So people were able to get a phone call. From their from their behavioral provider and do more checking in on folks, um, so people didn't have to pull themselves up and go to a clinic to get that to get that behavioral health visit. And I think that's something that we're excited about and want to see um, improving over the uh, next year. And more visits for enabling services by community health workers, social workers, etc., um, health coaches, etc. Um, we can move on. Um, yeah, we're, we compare AHS's numbers from last year to this year, a drop in the number of patients um, that um, with checking in with checking in with you all, with Heather and, um, and Damon, we see that we, we assume that the, the main purpose of that drop, the, 
for that drop was because of the more better capturing of actual homeless status um, on on the on, in registration in, in the clinical settings. But I'm also interested to hear how did co more learn more about how did COVID affect the ability of um, the AHS clinics to be able to um, to see some of those folks that that the rest of our health center doesn't treat the doubled up homeless. Um, families that are going from place to place and people that are living in housing, in impermanent and um, precariously housed folks who are primarily, that's, the, that's who, who AH, uh, that's, AHS is the one who, who can probably see more of those people than any, anywhere else in our, in our health center. Um, David? Yeah. Did you want me to say anything about Make comments about that, or no? Yeah, if you if you have, if you have time, I know that we're we're running late. Um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep it super brief. I mean, we have talked to our our co-applicant board a little bit about the difference in the number of patients that we see from one year to the next, and a lot of this has to do with us developing our new registry, which is really able to better identify correctly patients experiencing homelessness. Our previous system that we used to identify patients experiencing homelessness was um, potentially over overstating um, how many patients were experiencing homelessness because of the tools that we were using. Um, so that if a box got checked for a patient or if a, a designation was made on a, on a patient, it wasn't always being used correctly. And so we've worked really hard now that we have EPIC to get those processes uh, correctly lined up. Alameda Health System as a whole is seeing more or less the same number of patients and you know, more or less the same number of visits per year, but minus maybe 10% or so due to COVID. Um, but the the, uh, the primary, the big drop here is really about us getting better at identifying the right people in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we're kind of kind of a reset for our for our health center numbers and say this is a more accurate number now last year um, with the the more accurate um, the homeless registry and the way of capturing homeless status. And we're we're really happy to see that. Um, for the for the rest of our home center, health center, we're really happy that we've got 14 now street health teams covering every zone of the county doing street health at encampments and street settings. And those are teams that are that have an, that are nurse led, that have a nurse practitioner, community health worker, and nurse that are out there plying the grounds and the encampments and really served an incredible role last year um, as part of our COVID response and our reach and our ability to um, really manage to keep COVID from blowing up all over the place, both, both on, on the streets and our street health and our shelter health teams um, and our co close collaboration with AHS in, in our COVID response, um, making for a, a really, I think, over the, looking at the year, successful um, containment of COVID among people experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, finally, the Trust Clinic, um, operated by Lifelong, um, Lifelong Medical Care in downtown Oakland, is really hitting its stride, um, seeing a lot of people doing a lot of being the base of street health, pulling people in, giving them a medical home, and then helping them stabilize their lives. So we see that the operations mm -hmm. of that Trust Clinic kind of happening like Damon um, and Heather and I saw and imagined eight, six, eight years ago when we kind of conceptualized it for longer, actually. So um, that's really exciting. And we can move on. 
Um, Jan, these are our, our, our numbers um, shifted last year um, to be, to, to, I think, reflect our increasing focus on people living in shelters and on the streets last year and um, reflecting the fact that, that there was more African-American people living on the streets and in shelters. Um, and also, I'm, we're still, we still haven't really sunk into the analysis and looking at breaking down um, the different parts of our health center, like the different teams that, are, that, that, were, that were seen, um, the role of, of COVID in the COVID hotels, of, of testing um, and where you know where who we were serving where we really haven't been able to do that that really close analysis and we're going to be doing that these are just kind of our first our first look at our, our broad kind of numbers overall thanks David and um, I know that uh, you see there that the you got 2021 AHS lined up to go for next year I appreciate that um, we did review for 2020, just as a reminder to our CAP, the um, breakdown for our population okay. um, a couple meetings ago. And I, you may remember some of our key takeaways that we had, which similarly, our, our population represents um, a very large black population, which is not representative of what's happening in um, the population of Oakland, but is very representative of what's happening in the population experiencing homelessness and that that is a major disparity um, and also as a reminder for specifically Alameda Health System our unsheltered population that we're serving is very small as compared to um, the whole health center because we are primarily seeing that doubled up so this is where we push that doubled up number up and um, other parts of the homeless health center are taking care of those sheltered and unsheltered um, more so than Alameda Health System. And then similarly, our, um, our gender breakdown uh, reflects the whole population that David is showing here. That's what it looks like for Alameda Health System. Um, and I'll just refer you back to your October meeting. If you want to see those stats, they have not changed um, since we, we talked about them. So you can rely on them as being accurate. Yeah. So that's, our, that's a, a brief overview of our big numbers that you all you all are part of our larger healthcare for the homeless program and system, and that's what we did last year. Um, I, I think I would I would also before just to just to wind that down, say that some of the stuff that's not in our UDS report is our COVID was our COVID response, um, mm -hmm. where we you know we tracked and supported 370 people experiencing homelessness that, that had COVID last year, which was which is Compared to the general population, we all did a, an amazing job protecting people experiencing homelessness from COVID. Their, their numbers were lower in terms of testing, uh, in terms of infection, and in terms of serious illness and death. Um, people experiencing homelessness were, were well protected in Alameda County. And I think that's in some part due to the fact that people are living outside, but that's not as not nearly as much as the fact that that this population had teams of people of community members healthcare providers laser focused on their care and on the identification protection through ppe coordination among shelter and outreach providers the distribution of masks and um and equipment and supplies hand sanitizer on a regular basis to those folks 
identification of possible um, suspect cases, getting people into op into isolation through Operation Dignity, supporting them to get mm -hmm. isolation and sheltering in place in encampment and settings, and um, then finally the response, responding to any cases in a congregate homeless setting, not just not not waiting until it became a full-on outbreak to respond, but responding when there was one case in, 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 a, in a setting and with testing and, and support. So we had a situation where we didn't see any super spreader events and um, very and no large massive outbreaks like ha that happened in the rest of the country. Um, and now we're following that up with um, already having given almost a thousand doses of um, of vaccine in the in this first few weeks of um, being able mm -hmm. to vaccinate people experiencing homelessness. It's been pretty exciting to see that transition from protection around COVID testing and um, response to now moving on for the for the vaccine. Damon mentioned talked about earlier and that we'll be carrying on for the next few months. So um, that's pretty much the, the quick UDS um, overview for you all. Um, and if there's questions or comments, for that. Thanks for listening. David, I have a question. Um, thanks so much for the presentation. And I, I think when I started last year, the first CAB meeting that I came to was you doing the UDS presentation from the year before. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been one year, and I think it's been 11 years since uh, since the Blue, SSI Blue Ribbon Trust Task Force. That's right. Which is where the clinic came out of. So I think that's I think it's even longer. Yeah. Um, my question is about the unsheltered homeless and the numbers going up here. And just can you can you talk a little bit? I feel like that expansion and the number of people we're reaching and touching who are unsheltered. You know, it's not happening inside of the Alameda Health System so much. So I think it's something we haven't talked about as a cab, but it's a really important thing that's going on. Can you just can you just talk a little bit more about you know what we've seen in this last year related to that expansion on in these UDS numbers? Yeah, and it's, it mainly has to do with two factors. One, the expansion of numbers of unsheltered people in Alameda County. Um, and sadly, we weren't able to do a, um, a point-in-time count this, this spring, um, this winter, um, like we've been normally doing because of the COVID crisis. They just put that off. So we, don't, we won't have an accurate count of how many people were experiencing homelessness, unsheltered homelessness this year. But of course, over the last few years, we've, we've witnessed a, a very large increase um, in numbers of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness. And our program has been, over the last three years especially, really dramatically working to um, respond to provide healthcare services to those um, to people in, in an unsheltered setting, um, where before, Previously, like 10 years ago, up to like five years ago, our, our connection to unsheltered people was either them being able to walk into a clinic or them coming to the mobile health um, clinics at a, at a drop-in center or, or at a shelter. But there was very few people that took health to encampments and to the streets where people were. We divided the county into um, 14 zones that were equally, roughly equal numbers of 
unsheltered homeless people in, in those zones, around 500 to 600 people in each zone, and said, our goal is to get a team that is familiar and, and, mm -hmm. and, and knows the, and does the rounds in those zones and, and provide ongoing healthcare services, engagement with folks, treating people, but mainly drawing them in to care, connecting them to a, to a primary care home and the healthcare and the housing services connected with that. And so for the last three years, we got lucky because the county came through um, with a commitment to help support that. And so most of these street health teams that we've been forming have been funded by the county, M Mental Health Services Act and general funds. A few of them are funded by our Healthcare for the Homeless um, grant, but um, a lot of that's coming from a commitment by the county to, to, to support that. And those, those teams are operated by um, Lifelong Medical Care, Tiburcio Vasquez, um, Roots Community Health, um, who are not working for Healthcare for the Homeless in the contract, but are working under a contract by the county, but doing kind of parallel, similar, same work that our, our teams are doing, and um, uh, Bay Area Community Health, and our own Healthcare for the Homeless team. And so those teams are, yeah, seeing Oh, oh, this this year about 15. Last year about 1,500 people. It'll probably be about 20, 2,500 people next year because it was just near the end of last year when we really hit our stride, start these, get these things going. Mm -hmm. um, but that's prime. That's the primary place where unsheltered people are being served. Mm -hmm. Um, David, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is Mark. Um, I just have one quick question. Um, going back to earlier, uh, you were talk, we had discussed vaccinations of the homeless population and what um, the clinic is doing. And I was just curious about whether or not um, there being actual statistics kept. Um, is a record actually being kept as to... Uh, how many people are being vaccinated, uh, whether those people will require a second shot, um, and uh, who those individuals might be um, so that they might receive a second shot in the future uh, should that arise. We're doing our best to struggle to, to, to do that. Yeah, we're, we're, there's a, a statewide um, um, immunization record system so we can tell who's been vaccinated at least once. Um, and we are also keeping our own records of who we're vaccinating and um, doing. It's, it's going to be a lot of work to make people make sure people are, are get their second vaccine, and we're trying to figure out all sorts of different ways to to support and encourage that. Right. Yeah. Any other comments or questions? Um, actually, I had a quick question about um, the telehealth visits. Um, is that mostly phone encounters, or um, are you doing any video visits? Be interesting to hear from um, AHS what the status is of that. But um, primarily phone visits last year, and I know that that um, folks are are working on different ways to, to get more video-based visits. Um, Damon? 
Yeah. Um, we, it's almost all phone visits for us. We have had several mm -hmm. pilots around video visits um, that have, um, you know, have just shown us how hard it's going to be to do video visits. We have heard from the state that um, for the purposes of federally qualified health center reimbursement, as of, I think, July, um, video visits will qualify as a visit that is reimbursable under the FQHC statute, which is one of the really important ways that we get revenue. And um, telephone visits will not count as visits. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, our ambulatory um, division is um, uh, looking into purchasing a new technology and really, you know, ramping up our pilots again to figure out how we can, how we can um, do more video visits after, you know, after trying hard, but not really being able to push through some of the bar barriers. It's pretty technically challenging to get everything hooked up um, mm -hmm. to do. So, so we haven't had a lot of those so far. Mm -hmm. uh, does that seem, besides the technical challenges on, you know, the healthcare side, uh, does that seem that like something that is of interest uh, to people experiencing homelessness um, from what you've seen? Yeah, I think I'm trying to figure out how to how, if I have any data to rely on around that first before I go to my personal experience. Uh, I, we, we've had trouble with all our patients with that. So I think okay. it's reasonable to predict that we would have trouble with people experiencing homelessness as well um, with video visits. Um, mm -hmm. because we've had trouble with all of our patients so far. Um, I think uh, there will be, there have been, for me, a subset of patients who really love the telephone um, and for, for whom it's a really great way to stay in touch, including people experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there probably will be the same for video. Um, but I think the main thing is that we have a lot to learn about how to integrate that into our operations and make it make sense for patients and make sense for us. And a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff that's out, the knowledge that's out there doesn't come from healthcare for the homeless. You know, it's like, yeah. Palo Alto Medical Foundation did this. And we're like, yeah. okay, well, mm -hmm. how do we learn from that, you know? <laughs> how, uh, Lucy, I'm interested if you want to maybe say anything. I know we're a little bit off topic, but um, about San Francisco's experience there, since I know you know something about, you probably know something about that, I would assume. Uh, yeah, no, I think we're in the same boat. Um, I think there's a lot of interest. There's been a lot of challenges. Um, there's no one, no one person I feel like is doing, is really driving kind of the move in that direction. It's just been, it's been, COVID has been kind of all consuming <laughs> recently. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do feel like that's an area that just has a lot of potential, um, but there's just so many pieces kind of, that need to kind of come, to, uh, you know, be set in place uh, for it to kind of all work. Um, and I just feel like there's so much work to be done in that area, um, both on the, you know, technology side on our end and then with patients uh, and making sure that it doesn't create, you know, a, um, more of a divide, I feel like. Um, okay. So that's kind of like where my mind goes, but I'm, I'm just always interested to see what other folks are doing already. Um, because it feels like we're we're just not there yet. Yeah. 
to you, Loretta. Are you think we are ready to move on to our next item? I do, which would be our program report by <laughs> you. <laughs> That's right. And it's going to be pretty brief because actually most of what is in the program report has already been mentioned at other points in today's discussion. Um, David talked quite a bit about um, uh, the transition of mobile health to focus on COVID vaccination efforts. And so we heard a little bit about that. You can see your data. Um, this is what we had been doing uh, before that. So we'll have new numbers for next month that are gonna represent COVID vaccinations that we have provided to patients. Um, we're still working on our PDSA, but I will say that it is delayed for a little while while we focus on COVID vaccinations. So as with, uh, as Lucia just mentioned, things become all-consuming COVID sometimes when we move on to focus on the special spot. So we're focusing on vaccinations for the next couple of months. That means other things are being put on hold. And then on the, on the, on the rest, next page of the report, um, you can see also the summary of the changes in our leadership that have been happening within the ambulatory setting. So this also talks about some of our doctors taking on new roles um, within ambulatory care. Um, so Dr. Lash is the new medical director for Highland K-6. So Loretta, I'm sure you'll get to know Dr. Lash. She is quite fabulous as well. If you haven't met her already. I have not, no. Uh, you'll like her. Dr. Natalie Curtis is the new medical director of the Ambulatory Health Outcomes Team. And this is a team that is specifically um, focusing on outreach for patients to improve health outcomes for our patients. And we had one of our practice managers move from Hayward Medical, uh, Hayward mm -hmm. Wellness, Eastmont Wellness Center. And so that means that the Eastmont um, now has a permanent practice manager. They had had an interim practice manager for quite a long time. So Gary has taken on that role and he was the practice manager at Hayward. So the Hayward practice manager position is now open. So uh, Olafrasta Rivera is uh, the interim manager at Hayward. And he is, he was the PSS, the patient services supervisor too, which means he was supervising our, our front uh, line staff who do registration. And so he's taking on the role of interim practice manager at Hayward. Um, so he knows the system uh, pretty well there, given his role and responsibilities in supervising the patient services representatives. Um, and they have a fabulous medical director partner for him as well. So um, that's what's happening over at Hayward. Any questions? Can I just provide a comment that I think uh, it's hard to convey in this meeting, you know, because the meeting feels the same, how different. <laughs> you know, things are and how much, how much like is just happening. I think we're trying to figure out a way, but you know, to summarize, like this is a really tremendous amount of change for our staff and our patients. Um, yeah, just yeah. COVID, what's happening with leadership. You know, uh, we can't forget, we just implemented a new EHR um, in the last year. You know, the, the chief of ambulatory, the head of our division is leaving. Um, we um, have, you know, governance to be determined. <laughs> um, we're, we have an entire interim line essentially above, you know, uh, above the level of our division chiefs, right? It's an interim 
chief operating officer, interim CEO. Um, so I think um, I just wanted to pause and just kind of say that so you all understand as a board kind of this is this is a lot that's happening inside of this organization. And I think, you know, I think well, there are two things. One is I think we're actually a fairly stable part of the organization. You know, we have a consistent staff on mobile. We have consistent relationships with, with healthcare for the homeless. Um, but also it's just hard in the nature of this conversation to try to convey to you like, wow, there's a lot happening that's really challenging and difficult for, for our staff and our patients. I know there's, there's a lot of um, um, job openings, I, I guess you would say, for different doctors in different areas and different um, manager, managerial positions that I see all the time listed. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we, you know, age is, is going to just really a transition right now, you know, and change is hard, but change can be wonderful and good and exciting. And, you know, I, I just choose to believe that it's going to be a, a great thing. For uh, for the system for our patients. So, uh, can you hear me? Yes, Mark. Uh, yeah, this is Mark. I actually I have a question for Damon. I'm just curious about something. Um, in terms of in terms of doctors, uh, when 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 um, when there's change in uh, you know a really deep change in personnel, like. Uh, people who have been here long term, who you know, who either retire or they or they move on to another challenge somewhere else. And and given uh, what the country's going through with COVID nineteen and everything, uh, just out of curiosity, um, is there is there a way for 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 uh, for us as individuals? I'm not talking about the board now. I am talking about individual board members, however. Is there any way that we can advocate for, uh, or things that you think uh, we as individuals might be able to do to encourage hospitals to be more aggressive? In, in, uh, and I know it's a county thing, but is there anything we can do to, to try to, uh, to, to try to push uh, any way we can, the recruitment of, of more uh, young interns, for instance, or uh, what we need now more than ever, given uh, what's happened with COVID, is uh, um, we don't have enough epidemiolo epidemiologists, um, uh, not just only for this pandemic, but for pandemics of the future. Yeah. I think that's a great topic to pick up, and maybe I'll I'll try to connect with you offline to talk more about that and what are the venues you know for for you to engage with that, um, and then potentially to think about us as as a as a board how we might do it too. Um, yeah. Well, um, uh, um, Heather got my number, my phone number. That's the easiest way to contact me, and and uh, call me if you got some time. I'd love to talk to you about it. I will for sure. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Heather. That was that was interesting and a lot of helpful information. Um, I think we're going to open it up right now for public comment. Is there anyone from the public that would like to comment? We have no public members present, so I think okay. you can wait through that quickly. Okay. And any other co-applicant board members' comments? 
Anyone? Um, I I only have one. Uh, I'm I'm um um I I can't wait till the next meeting. Let's put it that way. I can't <laughs> wait till the next meeting. And I, I think I'm a non-voting member, but I think I still get to comment here. I just want to extend a lot of appreciation to um, Mark for going to the the um, governance meeting and bringing back an agenda item here as a board member. I think you know that's just a really um, important thing that, uh, for us to have that kind of participation from a board member. And I think uh, you know it's it's a really good precedent that we want to build on. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for 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 doing that. Yeah, I, I, and I appreciate that, and I and I hope to do more of it in the in the future. Absolutely. Loretta, this is Alexander. Uh, once yeah. we adjourn the meeting, I'm going to ask the uh, rest of the co-applicant board to stay just for a few minutes, like maybe a minute or so. I do have an announcement that I have to share with the staff. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. So if there's nothing else, um, I think we can adjourn. Time is 7.31, correct? And let's give um, Brenda a second to stop the recording. Yeah, oh, yes, Brenda. I don't know what Alexander's announcing, but I think we, we can 